You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. This morning, Jonah chapter 4, we're coming to the last chapter in the book of Jonah. We've been in it for several weeks now, going verse by verse through this very bizarre story in the scripture. Jonah chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to read actually just as verses 1 through 4 this morning. And just to give you a little recap in case you haven't been here, uh, I can summarize the book in about two to three minutes for you. Basically, here's what we've learned up to this point. In chapter 1, God comes to Jonah and he says to Jonah, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh and I want you to call out against them because of their wickedness. I want you to call them to repent. But because Jonah hates the Ninevites, because they're actually uh, enemies to Jonah and to the Israelites, Jonah says, no, thank you. I don't want you to extend mercy to them. Therefore, I'm going to run from you or I'm going to attempt to do that. And so what Jonah does is he hops on a ship to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away in the opposite direction of Nineveh where God had called him. And there on the ship, God, we discover in his mercy... He sends a storm into Jonah's life to interrupt him, to redirect and redirect his life, to try to pull him back where he needs to be. Eventually, the storm is so severe that the sailors, they throw Jonah off of the boat in order to save their own lives. Jonah goes down into the water, and then God, in his mercy, he appoints a great fish, the scripture says in in chapter 2, to swallow Jonah up and then to preserve his life. And in the belly of the whale, God begins to do heart surgery on Jonah. He begins to address some issues going on in his heart. And then Jonah, he realizes, man, it's God's mercy that I'm alive. It's crazy that I've been running from him. And so he says in verse 9 of chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then after he yells that out, God causes the fish to vomit Jonah out on dry land. And as Adam came and shared last week, God comes to Jonah again. Aren't you glad that God comes to us again? He gives us many chances. That's what we see in the book of Jonah. He gives Jonah another chance. He says, again, I want you to go and I want you to call out against the people of Nineveh so they will know of their sins and turn from their sins and experience life with me. And this time Jonah does. And he goes into Nineveh and he preaches quite possibly the worst sermon that has ever been preached. He doesn't share good news. He doesn't even mention God. He just says... Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overturned. God bless. And then he just walks off the stage, right? I mean, that was it. And yet God uses this pitiful attempt from this pitiful running prophet, and he turns a whole city. 120,000 people, including the cows, the Bible says, begin to fast. And they begin to to repent of their sins. And God, that says in chapter 3, relents of the disaster he said he was going to bring on them. And that is where we come now in our story. You would expect at this point, Jonah would be doing some sort of touchdown dance. I mean, I've never probably had more than a handful of people saved in one sermon. Jonah just saw 120,000 people turn from their sins. You'd think he'd be pumped about this, but we actually see quite the opposite. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he began to pray to the Lord. Here's what he said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God, 
and you're merciful and you're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, Do you, Jonah, do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Let's pray together and we're going to dive into these four verses. Father, there are people here today who have heard that you are gracious and merciful and loving and they have not experienced it yet firsthand in a way that has transformed their lives. I pray that changes today. I pray that through the power of your spirit that you will take this text and that you will drive it into our hearts. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How many of you in here have seen Rocky IV? Let's just show of hands. Hey, a lot of you. Did I hear amen? Oh, okay. All right. Thank you, Darius. Um, amen. Rocky IV, one of my favorite movies of all time. Not to be confused, by the way, with Rocky V, lest you judge me for bad taste in movies, because Rocky V was awful. Um, I love Rocky IV. And here's, uh, here's the thing about Rocky IV. If you've never seen it, let me give you the plot. Basically, Sylvester Stallone, who was the director also, he played Rocky, he realized that he could tap into the fact that America was in the middle of a Cold War with the Soviet Union. And so what he did is he said, I'm going to make a boxing movie about Ivan Girago, this Soviet boxer who rises to the ranks and begins to call out American fighters and say, you know what? The Soviet Union is a far superior power than America. I will call out your champ and I will beat him down right now to prove the Soviet Union is better than America. And so Rocky, right, is the champ, but he's retired. He don't want to fight anymore. And so he's like, I'm not going to fight Ivan Giraldo. I'm not going to fall into that trap. But Apollo Creed one day is out in his pool playing with his golden retrievers, you know, just another day. And he sees Ivan Giraldo calling out America. And, and, and Apollo, driven by his patriotism and driven by his desire to still prove himself, says, I'm coming out of retirement and I'm going to fight this chump. And so what I'm going to do, Rocky's like, you don't need to fight this guy. Paul says, no, it's just going to be an exhibition. Nothing crazy, just an ex exhibition boxing match. All it's going to be. But if you're watching Rocky, you realize when it comes time for the exhibition, it's going to be more than an exhibition because Apollo comes out to James Brown singing, living in America, like he's live. They're showgirls. Uh, there is Apollo in an American flag uh, shorts, an American flag hat. I mean, he's dancing around. He's calling out Ivan Girago. And I'm watching this uh, as a six-year-old uh, in my living room, and, and I'm watching as Ivan Drago is just stone cold the whole time. He's just looking at him. And you can tell by the look in Drago's eyes, this is not going to be an exhibition. This is not going to go well. So even as a six-year-old, like I'm pacing, like wondering, like what's going to happen in this fight? And then sure enough, the bell rings, the fight starts, and Apollo just begins to be absolutely dominated by Ivan Drago. I mean, it looks like literally, I mean, he is being killed by Drago. And so first round's over. He barely makes it through. He goes to his corner, and Rocky's sitting there in his corner. He says, man, i got to throw in the towel. I got to throw in the towel, champ. He's killing you out there. And, and Apollo says, don't throw in the towel. Whatever you do, don't throw in the towel. So Rocky's like, okay, you're my friend. I'm going to honor our friendship. And so Apollo goes back out there against the Soviet fighter, Ivan Girago. And I mean, he just begins to be pulverized again. And so uh, over in the corner with Rocky is, is Duke, the trainer. And what is Duke yelling at Rocky? He said, throw in the towel. Right? You remember that? Throw in the towel. Like he's like, Apollo is dying out there. But so Rocky's looking at the towel. He's looking at Apollo, looks at the towel. And then he looks back at Apollo. And then in 1980s fashion, we see slow motion, 
right? And Ivan Drago rears back and he just lands a punch dead square into the temple of Apollo. He falls over and dies, literally dies right there in the ring. I remember like my mom was saying, I'm like, is he dead, mom? Is he dead? Like, I mean, I'm traumatized by what I've seen. But then the camera cuts back to Ivan Drago. And he's on a mic and he says, if he dies, he dies. Who says that? It's cold-hearted, right? And then all of a sudden it cuts to Rocky. And just when you think all hope is lost, you see in Rocky's eyes revenge. You see in his eyes that I will make you pay for what you have done to my friend and my country. And so what does Rocky do? He takes off to the Soviet Union. He leaves his home country. He trains. And then on Christmas Day of all times, he fights Ivan Drago in front of his own home crowd. And like Rocky always does, he gets beat like the first 15 rounds because straight up, Rocky just don't block, right? And he blocks like this, hands down, you know? And so, but he, in the last round, makes a comeback. He's got heart. He's fighting for a purpose. He's seeking revenge and he gets it. He knocks the Soviet fighter out. He's hoisted up into the air with the American flag and everyone's chanting his names. Now there it is. And I, as a six-year-old boy, had never felt more patriotic in my entire life, more proud to be an American. It was an awesome experience. Rocky IV, I don't know if you knew this, was the largest grossing sports movie in America for 24 straight years before Blindside came out, a movie about Darius Dunaway. Twenty-four straight years, the largest grossing sports movie. Why? I think because what Sylvester Stallone did and what Rocky did for us is it hit a nerve. What it did is it exposed inside of every one of our hearts that like Jonah, all of us are born with the desire to see our enemies pay for what they've done to us. I think we loved it because all of us, like Jonah, are born with something inside of us saying, man, this person that's wronged me, I hope they get what's coming to them because of the evil they've brought upon me. Jonah has been wronged by the Ninevites. The Ninevites are to Jonah as Ivan Drago was to Rocky, times ten. And so whenever God decided he was not going to destroy the Ninevites, but he was going to show them mercy, we see in chapter 4, verse 1, that this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And look what he actually says in verse 2. Why? Because he said, I knew, O Lord, I knew. He said, this is why I ran from you. This is why I made haste. Because I knew you are a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you catch what Jonah says here? He says, God, the whole reason I ran from you to begin with is not because I was afraid of what the Ninevites would do to me. I was afraid of what you would do for the Ninevites. This is the whole reason that I ran is not because I was afraid they would not repent and they would kill me. I was afraid they would repent and you would bless them. That is why I wanted nothing to do with this mission. God, I knew you were kind. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were loving. I knew you were going to do something like this. God, what I want to see is I want to see these people pay for what they have done and yet they cry out in desperation and you Actually, forgive them. 
I wonder this morning if there are any of us here that are like Jonah. I wonder if there are any Ninevites in your life today. Is there anyone who secretly you hope to see fail? Is there anyone in your life who you hope gets what's coming to them? Is there anyone in your life that you would honestly rather see judged than forgiven? Is there anyone that if they walked into this room this morning that quite honestly your heart would begin to be filled with anger towards them and you would hope they never return again? If so, here is a very heavy truth that we all need dropped in our laps today. What we learn in this passage is that God actually loves your enemies as much as he loves you. Some of you in here, you have been abused. Some of you have been neglected. Some of you have been cheated on. Some of you have been betrayed. And I in no way want to undermine any of that. But a very hard truth that we all need to be reminded of this morning is that God not only loves the oppressed, he also loves the oppressor. Guys, that's scandalous. Because what that means, and this has been a hard truth for me to really focus on all week long, is that God, at times, he's not only merciful just to the sexually abused, he's merciful to the sexual abuser. That the God of the Bible at times, he's not only just merciful to the one who's been cheated on, he's merciful to the people that did the cheating. He's not just merciful to those who've been wronged, he is merciful to those who are responsible for the wrongdoing. And by the way, don't read into anything I'm saying. God is never okay with sin. not saying there should not be consequences for actions. I'm not saying that as a country we should never go to war for the sake of justice or protecting our neighbor. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying child abusers should not go to prison when they abuse children. I'm not saying that. But here's what I am saying that we all need to hear this morning. If at the end of the day you desire wrath for the people that hurt you more than you desire to see them saved... If you desire to see revenge more than you desire to see them repent, there's a good possibility this morning that your heart is far more like Jonah than it is like Jesus. Jonah walks into this room today and he says, hate your enemies. Jesus would walk into this room and say, love your enemies. Jonah would walk into this room and he would say, you need to pound those who persecute you. Jesus would say, you need to pray. For those who persecute you. Jonah is a prophet of God. But his heart is far from God. And that is why we see him. Literally the word for anger here means he was hot. He is boiling with anger. In fact he is so mad. Look at what he says in verse 3. Therefore now O Lord please take my life from me. For it is better that I die. Literally what Jonah just said to God is if this is the way you are, if this is how you're going to run your universe, I would rather die than live in your world. That's what he said. 
Your translation might even say in verse 1 that he thought what God did was exceedingly evil. I mean, he thought that God, what he was doing here literally was wrong. And he said, I would rather die than be here. And why is he so mad? I'm going to put it on the screen for you. The reason Jonah is mad is because Jonah did not want Nineveh to get mercy. And you know why Jonah didn't want Nineveh to get mercy? Because Jonah didn't get mercy. Sure, he got mercy. Sure, God showed him tons of mercy. There was mercy by God sending the storm. There was mercy by God sending the fish. He got mercy. The problem is he didn't get mercy. Mercy had not really settled fully deep down into his heart and therefore had not fully transformed him from the inside out. I could not help but think this past week about how true this is for so many people living in the religious south, maybe even some of you sitting here this morning. So many people like Jonah who have truths about God in their head that have not settled into their hearts. People who have heard sermons on mercy, people who have read verses on mercy, who have sung songs about mercy and yet have never had their hearts fully transformed by mercy. And therefore, as a result, today they walk around bitter, they walk around angry, they walk around judgmental, they walk around legalistic, and honestly, some of them walk around as racist as nationalists, believing that because of the color of my skin or because of the country I was born into, I'm in a more privileged position than this guy. What we have to see today is, listen, guys, the problem with Jonah is not that Jonah was a bad man. The problem with Jonah is he was a good man in his own eyes. He was a Jew, God's chosen people. He was a prophet. He is a man who knows the law and is preaching to other people about God. The problem is somewhere along the way, and I don't know where it is, but somewhere along the way, Jonah began to believe the lie that it was his goodness that made him good before God, and therefore he began to look down on others who he thought were not quite as good as him. I don't know if any of you have ever played Monopoly before. Um, I like the game Monopoly. I like making deals with you. I like when you land on my property. I like bankrupting you. You know, maybe it's something about my heart. Here's the thing. I've never, though, after a game of Monopoly, taken my Monopoly money to the bank to try to deposit it. Never done that. And you know why? Because I know what they're going to say at the bank. They're going to say, hey, look, bro, your Monopoly money may have value in the kingdom of Monopoly, but it does not have value in the kingdom of First National Bank. In the same way, listen, Your works may give you value in the kingdom of the world, but your works do not give you value in the kingdom of God. Not saying your works are not important, but what I'm saying is this. If you are a Christian, you are not a Christian because of your education. You are not a Christian because of your voting record. You are not a Christian because of your church attendance or because your parents were good people or because you're a good spouse or a good parent to your own children. You're not a Christian because you did not have sex outside of marriage. If you are a Christian today, do you know why you're a Christian? You're a Christian because God, being rich in his mercy, looked at you, saw you were lost and without hope, and rather than leaving you in your mess, he said that I am going to save you. I am going to rescue you, and not because of your performance, but because of the performance of Christ on your behalf. 
If you are saved, you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Period. We've got to get that today. Jonah did not get this. This was not a truth that had settled deep down inside of his heart. He did not see his own need for mercy. His heart had not been transformed by it. And therefore, that is the reason why he did not extend it to others. Isn't it amazing? The only reason that Jonah is alive is because of God's mercy. And yet the only reason Jonah is mad is because of God's mercy. And so when Nineveh repents, Jonah doesn't worship God and say, how amazing. I mean, the Bible says that the angels rejoice over one person coming to Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't rejoice over that. Rather than praising, he starts pouting. You know what he basically says to God? That's not fair. And you know what? He's right. That's not fair. But let me say something we all need to hear today. None of us in here want God to be fair to us. If God's fair, we get hell. Every one of us. So actually, God, if you're going to be fair, don't be fair to Jared Pickney. In fact, be very, very unfair to me, please. Fair for you and me is the death penalty. Unfair is the fact that God sent his son to take the death penalty for us. So that now when we trust in Christ, rather than getting wrath, we can receive mercy and we can stand before God and we can experience life with him forever. The life that we have been longing for that can only be found in him. And I'm telling you, listen to me guys this morning, until that truth settles into your heart, until you really believe that even on your best days you still deserve hell. But rather than receiving wrath, you can receive mercy because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Until you believe that, I'm telling you, you're going to have a heart and a life much more like Jonah than like Jesus. You're going to be filled with anger. You're going to have a hair, tripper, a hair trigger temper. You're going to be constantly frustrated. You're going to be filled with bitterness. And you're going to have all kinds of self-righteousness just circling around your existence. I was reminded of an article I read um, recently. It was an article written back in 1997 in Christianity Today. And by the way, what I'm about to say is in no way a political endorsement. So do not project that on me. I'm just sharing this article, and, and don't take it for anything more than face value. It was an article written in Christianity Today about Bill Clinton, about the... Um, about right after he'd had the affair with Monica Lewinsky. And basically what had happened, I didn't know about this, it's a really interesting article. After Bill Clinton had this affair, um, he, he invited 12 pastors to come have a private breakfast with him to talk about his faith and his sin and his struggles and just trying to figure out what's going on in his own heart. It's really interesting, I didn't know that. Philip Yancey was one of the guys that was there, and he decided to write an article on it later. And he said that when he showed up, Bill Clinton said, hey, here's the thing, I get what I, was did, what I did was wrong. What I don't get is why evangelicals hate me so much. He said, I honestly, it's just hard for me. You know, he said, because I, I can't relate with the people who don't know what it's like to sin. And what Philip Yancey did is after hearing this, he went back and he wrote an article. And basically, what the whole point of the article was, 
as Christians, is God's grace so scandalous that we can even extend it to a guy like Bill Clinton? And he got, literally, he said, sackfuls of hate mail for writing the article. And Christianity Today got sackfuls of hate mail. And literally what all the, the letters were saying is, Philip Yancey, how dare you? How dare you expect for Christians to extend grace and mercy to a guy like this who had an affair, who defiled the marriage bill, who lied under oath, who's been deceitful, who's been manipulative? How dare you think that we should do that? Now, listen, again, I'm not saying Bill Clinton shouldn't have experienced consequences for his actions. He should have. I'm not even saying that his heart was in the right place when he had the pastors. I don't know where his heart was, but here's what I'm saying. This is all I want you to take away from this illustration. You might want to check your hearts when you've come to a place where you'd rather see people pay for their sins than be forgiven of their sins. And if you're not at a place where you feel like you can forgive people of their sins, then at least, at least have the decency to clean the fish vomit off your mouth and off your face before you incite judgment on them. Jonah walks into a city covered in vomit because of his own disobedience, and then he demands God to judge people of Nineveh because of their disobedience. He doesn't even wipe the guts off of him first. This is the height of hypocrisy, guys. It's, God, I want you to be very merciful to me, but I don't want you to be merciful to them. God doesn't judge the people of Nineveh. He extends mercy, and Jonah explodes with anger. That's why he says in verse 3, I would rather you kill me than die. And here's what's so incredible to me. Behold the patience of God. Look how he responds. If we were sitting by Jonah we heard that, we'd probably move because we don't want to get hit by lightning. But rather than God killing Jonah, look what he does in verse 4. It says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well, Jonah, to be angry? At first glance, this may seem like God is taunting Jonah. Like I would taunt my children whenever we see them get mad over stupid stuff. I was actually out last week talking to one of my neighbors, and Nora went buck wild and started acting the fool, and I was kind of trying to ignore it, but the more I ignored it, the, more, the, the madder she got. Eventually, my neighbor was like, I think I'll let you get to your daughter now. And so he went, I was like, Nora, what is wrong with you? And she goes, there was an ant on me. And I was like, seriously, an ant? Like, that's what you're mad about? Right? I mean, I was kind of taunting her, like, you realize how stupid that is? It almost seems like that's what God's doing to Jonah, but the reality is God is not taunting Jonah. He's loving Jonah. What he's saying is, Jonah, I want you to think about what's going on in your heart. I want you to think about where your anger is coming from. Guys, did you know this? Listen, listen carefully. Did you know that whenever you're mad, you're always mad because something you love has been threatened I talked to a guy yesterday, I was playing tennis with a guy, and, and after the, the game, we got talking, and he said, hey, aren't you a pastor? And I said, yeah. And he said, where are you a pastor at? And I talked to him about it, and, and, um, and then I said, hey, are you a part of a church anywhere? And he said, man, I haven't been a part of a church in two years. And I said, uh, did you care if I ask why? Did, like somebody hurt you in the church? Or that's usually what you hear, somebody ticked me off in the church. And, and um, he said, no, honestly, I've never thought about that. We started talking about it, and he said, you know, actually, now that I think about it, I haven't been back to church because I'm mad at God, and I'm running from him. And I said, man, it's so interesting you say that. I'm actually preaching on a guy who did that tomorrow. And we got talking and come to find out, you know why he's mad at God? Because he has a wife and a daughter who's been sick for years. He's prayed for God to heal him, and he hasn't done it. And so he said, you know what, God? Enough's enough. I'm done with you. 
And as we got talking, this is over an hour of conversation, what he finally admitted, the reality is that he actually loves his wife and his daughter more than he loves God. And when God didn't do for his wife and daughter what he thought he should do, he was angry at God for it. All of us in here have anger that arises because something we love possibly too much is threatened. For some of you in here today, maybe it's approval. For some of you, you care so much about what people think of you that when you're humiliated or you don't get a pat on the back for serving, you're angry about that. For others in here, it's comfort. And so when your wife comes in in the middle of that game and wants you to get up and serve, you get ticked because you care more about your comfort than you do your own marriage. For some of you, it's performance. You want to be great. You want to climb the corporate ladder. You want to build a big bank account. And when someone gets in the way of that, you get angry. For others, it's control. You think you know best how life should work. You want to dot every I and cross every T. And so whenever someone changes your plans, it makes you angry. I don't know what it may be for you, but today God wants to do in your heart what he is doing in the heart of Jonah. He comes to Jonah patiently and he says, son, I want you to listen to me. I want you to think about your anger. I want you to think about what it says, about what is going on in your heart. Jonah, there is something beneath the surface that if you do not seek to kill it, it will kill you. I don't get this. I mean, guys, this really is scandalous. God should just kill this little twerp. I would have. But rather than God killing him, he continues to show him mercy upon mercy upon mercy. The same mercy that God shows to the Ninevites, he shows to Jonah. But the problem is, Jonah doesn't see his own need for mercy. Is it possible this morning you stop seeing your need for mercy? Is it possible that you've become so self-righteous? Is it possible that because you're here today and you've been regular in attendance or because you read your Bible or because you give a tithe check that you've really... You stop seeing your own need for mercy. Maybe some of you in here, you've begun to believe the lie that sure, I needed 100% mercy when I became a Christian, but now I need about 10% mercy throughout the week, 90% I'm good to go. Or yeah, sure, I believe mercy, but I don't need mercy as much as this guy. Do you realize Christian maturity, please hear me. If you've zoned out, zone back in. I know it's hard to focus this amount of time, but you've got to hear this. Christian maturity is not needing God's mercy less. Christian maturity is realizing you need God's mercy more than you ever thought. That's whenever Jesus becomes so beautiful that you can come in here and have a heart that's about to explode in worship because you realize, you know what? He's enough. Maybe some of you are here today and you're self-righteous and therefore you're not experiencing mercy. Maybe for others, you think that you're so unrighteous you can't experience God's mercy. You think you've ran too far. You've done too much. Wherever you are, no matter who you are, what you've done, what we all need to do this morning is look to the cross. What we all need to be reminded of this morning is that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life we could never live. And he went to the cross and he died a death that we all deserve to die. And at the cross, listen to me, guys, rather than Jesus judging the people that crucified him, he took the judgment of God on their behalf and on your behalf. 
and my behalf. So that now, rather than getting death, we can get life. Have you really experienced this mercy? I'm in front of a crowd right now, guys, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Listen to me. Have you experienced this mercy? Has it settled into your heart or has it become old news? Preach on something a little different this morning, preacher. I think I've got this one down. Has the mercy of God settled into your heart in a way that it is explosively alive? If so, what in the world is the difference between how some of you are living and what you say you know is true? The reality is, guys, the mercy of God changes everything. And I was reminded of that this past week over and over as I thought about stories of different people throughout our church. And one of the people I thought of was Zach and Janelle Wilson. I don't know how many of you know Zach's story. Probably don't recognize him. Looks a little different now. Zach was in uh, prison a couple years ago. Got out of prison. And when he got out of prison, he was mad at the world. The last place he said he wanted to be was the church. And you know why I didn't want to be at the church? Because I know if I go to the church, that's where I'm going to get condemnation and judgment. I know that's where people's going to bring up my past. And they're going to hold it over my head. But Janelle had become a Christian. We had actually baptized Janelle about a year and a half earlier. And so as Zach's girlfriend, she kept saying, hey, I want you to come, be involved, be involved, be involved. Well, eventually Zach and Janelle, actually against, I'll just own it now, said, hey, you shouldn't do this. But they went and they got married. And uh, many people probably would have thought, that's a pretty bad decision. Like, they didn't really even talk to anybody about it. They just went and did it. And that next night, they went into their MC meal, a little gun shy, probably thinking, okay, I'm sure people are going to be like, wow, y'all got married? Really? But you know what their MC did for them? That, okay, they've been married. Let's celebrate it. And so they threw them a surprise wedding shower. They had cake, all the goodies, surprise, all that kind of stuff. And as you can see, this picture was snapped around the time. Janelle starts crying. Zach's got that goofy grin on his face. A little bit like, are you serious right now? In this moment, Zach's story, uh, he looks back and he says, this is the moment that God began to stir his heart towards God. He was so surprised by mercy that it led him to Jesus, and eventually he surrendered his whole life to Christ. We baptized him back at the last birthday party. Since then, he's been on fire making disciples. He even got to baptize some people this year. He's now, him and Janelle, both leading a missional community. And you know why that happened? Because God is who he says he is. That's why it happened. He's gracious, guys. He's merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. Some of you don't believe that today. You really don't. You believe it in your head. You don't believe it in your heart. You believe in your heart that God is cruel. You believe he's unsympathetic. You believe that he cares more about what you do for him than being with him. Some of you, honestly, you think God the Father is like your earthly father, and he's not. Even if you had a good earthly father, God is far better than your earthly father. Most people in Paragold, Arkansas today, I'm telling you guys, listen, this is why we planted this church. Most people in Paragold, Arkansas today did not wake up enjoying God. Most people today woke up thinking the hammer's about to fall on them. And therefore, do you know why a lot of churches have people in them today? 
Because people are not trying to get more of God. They're trying to get God off their backs. They're trying to do whatever they can to keep from going to hell. God is a gracious God. He is merciful. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. Here's my question as we're ending. Have you been surprised by how merciful God really is to you? Have you been overwhelmed by his grace? Have you been shocked at how scandalous his love really is? If not, I pray you experience it now. Say, Jared, how do I experience it? Let me tell you how. You open your heart like you never have before to believe in God really is who he says he is and he's done everything he's ever said he's done through Jesus Christ for you. You open your heart. It's all you have to do. Surrender your life. Admit, yes, I am a sinner that on my best days I still deserve hell. I am far worse than I could ever imagine, but I am more loved than I can ever dream because of what Christ has done for me. Surrender your life to him. And I promise you, no matter who you are or what you've done, you can experience forgiveness of your sins, freedom from your anger, from your self-righteousness, and all the other bondage that is pulling you down and keeping you from experiencing the life that he has created for you to experience with him.